Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for common sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby, standing for truth, justice, and the American way, bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Well, we're uh, midway through the week. It's Wednesday today. It's 5 o'clock. <laughs> My God, so many things happened. We, we had a full week already, just about. And uh, in the studio with us, we have Judge uh, Richard Weinberg, and we have uh, Borough President Vito Fasella, and and we're, we're I understand we got some breaking news. Where is it? Breaking news: WABC. And just back, running just back uh, from the Roosevelt Hotel in Midtown, New York, uh, a.k.a. the Migrant. Look at that. It is, uh, and it's the Migrant Asylum Center, but now it's like a tent city. Curtis Lee, what's going on? What did you see? Packed to the rafters, and uh, they haven't assimilated yet because they're just like Americans. They stay with their own tribe. So on the south side of the Roosevelt Hotel, you have all the North Africans from the French-speaking former colonies. So Sudan... They're from Chad. They're from Cameroon. They're from Mauritania. They're from Madagascar, which is off the east coast of Africa. And I'm asking them, how did you guys get here, right? It takes a little time because my French isn't that good. Wait, did they ask you about the Red Beret? Oh, no. They, they, <laughs> so, a lot of them know the Guardian Angels, the Arch Guardian, especially I've spent time in Senegal and Dhaka. They really related to me. And right away they said $8,000 to go to fly to Mexico City and then to walk your way up to the border and they were surprised. Once they got to the border, they come over. They were asked, where do you want to go? They said, where else? New York. New York, New York. New York. And you know, the sad thing is, uh, we are busting at the seams. I mean, I mean, you are seeing, we're seeing the Democrats finally saying, no more room at the inn. But just like you said, there's a blaring neon sign saying, come to New York City. Too late. Eric Adams, a year ago, decided to uh, do battle with Governor Abbott. Remember, he called him a racist. And Abbott said, you got to come to the border. Why don't you come to the border? We could show you the problems we have. Um, Adams decided, no, we're a sanctuary city. We welcome here. He described all the benefits he was going to give them. And well, then we, they, we got Vito Fasella here. His advantage is they don't want to pay the Verrazano Bridge to get to Staten Island. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the, the one one salient good point I've ever heard about a high toll on the Verrazano Bridge. But if you oh. recall, in fact, it was last year on this show that we discussed when the migrants came first to Staten Island in the Travis section. And we said then that it was going to be an unsustainable policy, that the costs were going to be explosive, and that the last thing we should do is pretend that this is, we're going to roll out the red carpet and give them champagne glasses and gift bags and whatever. iPhone. And, and everything else. And, and, and what happened? Instead of saying, hey, folks, I think the, these folks are making a point on Staten Island, they said no. They put them away, put them in the corner, and now we're left with a multi-billion dollar price tag with no end in sight. And- Probably the worst thing for the mayor is a block away, just a block away, you see laying in the streets, African-American homeless, disabled, some form of veterans. American citizens. American citizens. Who do we take care of first, the Senegalese or the the American citizens? No, we have have to take care of our own. And how is it we found the money to take care of the illegals but not our own? I don't know who was in the studio yesterday, but they said... There's 100,000 migrants in New York City right now. 100,000. Yes. Besides 
50,000 or 60,000 Yeah, the homeless. homeless. Yep. That's 160,000. And, John, remember how many are on their way here. You don't just turn them around. Now, Some of them have been it? trekking for months yes. in order to get here. You know, Vito, you've been in Washington for many, many years. What is Joe Biden, what is the president, what is the White House trying to accomplish here? I think they just turn the other way. Uh, word is uh, word of the day to me is shameless. But what is, that, what is the mission? I don't There's think they have one. Mission. I think they just want to get as many folks here as possible. Uh, I don't what know do what their base. We can't feed the whole world. Well, they're trying. So they're to. not picking up the tab. So what do they care, right? Yeah. So they send the message that come on in. The border's open. We're not taking any action. In fact, Governor Abbott is the only one who's trying to control the border, and the and federal the government's suing. And, going and the Justice him. Department suing is suing him. the state of Texas. By so, the way, I want to throw uh, more dumb ideas. New York City college students have now been asked if they want to help. Uh, can you imagine what, what could go wrong? You give them college credit. Yeah, John, can you imagine a young college girl saying, oh, I want to help uh, this, what, single adult male, MS-13? Uh, from what can, could go a wrong, young college Curtis? girl from Kansas City who doesn't know what's going yeah. on. And now they're thinking of putting the migrants at the soccer fields at uh, Randall Island, Central, Central Park. Park. Central Curtis Park. Lee, well, thank nuts. you for keeping WABC uh, informed what the heck is going on in the streets of the city. And, uh, you know, most important, stay safe. Well, I'll be back at the Roosevelt Hotel. And, and learn Senegalese. <laughs> learn, learn the French. African, learn French. French. Thank the you so French. much. The French. Okay, Rita, who do we have? Now we have the former U.S. attorney uh, for the Southern District, the assistant one, Andy McCarthy. The other big story of the day, of course, is the Trump third indictment that happened when we were here live yesterday on the show. Uh, Andy you know, the the indictment, this is the third one. It comes a day after Devin Archer, Hunter Biden's best friend, uh, goes before Congress. I mean, if you look at even this indictment, it is so thin. Your reaction, it just seems so uh, deliberately political. Yeah, I don't think there's any other way to look at it, Rita. In fact, I think it's political on two ends. Uh, for for one thing, I think they're using the criminal justice system to address the failure of the political system, uh, the way that uh, in our system we police executive misconduct uh, is supposed to be by Congress addressing it. Uh, and they tried to impeach Trump over this uh, when that failed. Now they've uh, basically you know consigned it to the criminal justice process to do what the political process uh, didn't do. And on the other end, it seems to me that it's clearly an attempt to get the uh, worst facts about the post-election escapade, in particular, the Capitol riot in front of the electorate in the waning months before the 2020 uh, or the 2024 election. And I say that um, with uh, some bitterness because the the prosecutor does not charge Trump with the Capitol riot. There's no allegation that he was involved in the violence of the Capitol riot, nor could they have charged that because the Justice Department is charged like between 11, uh, between 1,000 and 1,100 people with uh, crimes arising out of the Capitol riot. They've never alleged that Trump was complicit. They've never alleged that he was an unindicted co-conspirator, and they fought against defendants who've tried to shift the blame for their own actions to Trump. So at this point, they couldn't take the position that he was involved in the violence. Yet, this prosecutor has written the violence into his indictment, even though 
he doesn't allege that Trump is responsible for it and he hasn't charged it. And he's trying to push this case to trial so that that information would be in front of the court and in front of the voting public uh, in the weeks before the election. I just think that's outrageous. And, you know, Andy, um, I was seeing you comment about this earlier because Jack Smith came out and made a statement. It was like two and a half minutes long. And he essentially uh, basically, uh, to me, just as you said, was lumping Trump to the riot. Talk about the statement that you heard and just how you felt it was out of line. Yeah, I called it demagogic, Rita, and I think that's the right word for it because, as you note, it was a very short statement, but he didn't talk about the charges that he brought. He talked about the Capitol riot and the uh, and the security personnel and the police who were injured in the Capitol riot, the violence of the Capitol riot. That's not what his case is about. He doesn't charge Trump with that. So what is he doing, trying to gin up a motion? Well, he's trying to do two things. He's trying to obviously taint the jury pool. Not that that requires much tainting in the District of Columbia, I don't think. Uh, but also, this is the this is the whole reason this case was brought in the first place. In fact, this is the whole reason Jack Smith exists as a special counsel. Remember, the Bidens do not have a special counsel, even though there's a raging conflict of interest between the Biden Justice Department trying to investigate the Biden family, if they were actually investigating it. Uh, for corruption. Garland has known for two and a half years that's a major conflict of interest. He has not brought, he has not named a special counsel. Yet, he named one for Trump under circumstances where there's no conflict of interest between the Biden Justice Department and Trump. And he obviously did that for the political reason that he wants, he knew that Trump was going to say that Garland and Biden we're using the criminal justice apparatus against him because he's the major competition in the election. So they brought Smith in so that they could pretend they don't have anything to do with this. Right. Trying to pretend. Fact, yeah. Trying to pretend that it yeah. was independent. Everybody were talking right. to uh, the former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, Andy McCarthy. Uh, Judge Weinberg, you've got a question. And, Andy, you predicted this. You said that there was going to be an indictment in response to the uh, the allegations are going forward before the congressional committees. You made that prediction right here on the show. What I want to ask you is, yeah, I, I, Judge, I also said the Mets were going to be in the World Series. So <laughs> Eventually, okay. All right. Yeah, at well, some point, about five hundred, as they say. But, but what I'm deeply troubled about is, even if Garland appointed and it's the Attorney General, as you know, who appoints the, the special counsel, how do you expect them to have a reasonable, objective special counsel? Somebody like Durham, when they pick somebody to look at uh, Biden's document retention, which is a clear violation of law, and that so-called investigation has disappeared. You don't see that. What do you say about this? Yeah, well, I think two things, Judge. First, he only appointed Robert Herr, and, and you're right, that thing has totally disappeared. But he only appointed her because that happened, it seemed like five minutes after it emerged that, you know, once we found out about Mar-a-Lago, Instantly, we then found out that Joe Biden had been hoarding classified documents for for decades. So he left himself no choice after he appointed the uh, the Trump special counsel for that subject matter. You know, he played politics and he got burned. I, I think the other thing, though, is this Biden investigation conflict has been a neon blinking conflict of interest that needed a special counsel from the moment 
that Garland got confirmed over two and a half years ago, and he hasn't appointed one, which shows his desperation to keep control of this case. So why, with that record, would anyone believe that at this point he would appoint anybody but a hack who would exactly. make the case go away? Exactly. Right. Which yeah. is what the congressional Republicans are worried about. Because they don't want to have an excuse as an ongoing investigation, Andy. Right, and pretend like they're independent. Um, Andy McCarthy, thank you so much for being here on such an important news day. We always value your perspective, Andy, so much. Thanks so much for having me. Have a great day, guys. Thank you, Andy McCarthy. We appreciate it. And, and John, after the break, uh, we have Professor Alan Dershowitz, who is going to give us his take, because there's some bombshell stuff on the judge who is going to be seeing the judge, this case. judge, I don't think, is qualified to see this case, but let's listen to Alan Dershowitz. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back here on Katz and Cosby. Everybody talking about uh, the Trump case now, the third indictment. Uh, and there's a lot of questions, John, about now, this judge. I, I'm not sure this judge is qualified. I mean, all the public statements uh, that... Uh, uh, that uh, she gave, uh, she's almost saying uh, you're guilty until you prove yourself in- innocent. And also, John, she seems sympathetic to from- the, well, let, let me just tell about her past. She seems yeah. sympathetic uh, to the BLM rioters, but has been really tough on the January 6th folks. Let's hear from Alan Dershowitz. Yeah, let's bring in Professor Alan Dershowitz, of course, the great Harvard Law Professor Emeritus. His book is called Get Trump. Uh, Professor Dershowitz, this judge, uh, I agree with John. I mean, this judge seems uh, to me biased. Your thoughts? She's the worst possible judge to sit on a case like this. This case must have a judge who is beyond reproach. This is a woman who was chained, trained at the Boyce Schiller firm. The Boyce Schiller firm, in my view, is the most corrupt firm among any large firm. I got them recused not so long ago from a case because of a conflict of interest. It was another case in which the chief judge in the Southern District said, The conflict was so clear that even a first-year student should see it. Over and over again, this firm has been charged with uh, essentially corruption. And this is a woman who learned at the feet of these lawyers and was in the firm when they represented Burisma and represented Hunter Biden. She is the worst possible judge to sit on this case in the worst possible district. This is the most extreme anti-Trump district in the United States. And so the case should be moved to Virginia, West Virginia, and taken and put in front of a different judge. But I want to tell you something really ironic. Under this indictment, under this indictment, if you take it seriously, Jack Smith could be indicted. Let me tell you why. He indicts Trump for telling lies. He describes the speech of December of January 6th, where I hate that speech, but he describes it and goes into detail and leaves out the most important words. He leaves out the fact that Trump said, that these protesters should go peacefully and patriotically. That's a lie by omission, lying to the American public in an indictment. Then the indictment charges a statute 
a post-Civil War statute that says basically if anybody gets together and denies somebody the free exercise or employment of any right or privilege secured him by the Constitution, they're guilty. Well, what if the court ultimately finds that Trump's speech and his activities were protected by the First Amendment? Then Jack Smith is guilty of having deprived Trump of his rights under the Constitution. That's how bad and how broad this indictment is that Jack Smith could be indicted under it. And Vito Fisella, you've got a question yeah, for Professor. Professor what's the likelihood that uh, it is moved to a place like Virginia? And if not, look into your crystal ball, please, and, and tell us what you think will happen. Well, I think it won't be moved. Judges don't generally move. I think there is a possibility she'll recuse herself. She recused herself in a previous case involving a Barisma, so maybe she will. Uh, it should be moved to Virginia. That becomes a valid appellate issue. If it doesn't, then the trial will occur. It will not take place before the election. There's no way all the motions uh, will be able to be passed on and a possible interlocutory appeals decided before the election. And it should be after the election. But, but um, shouldn't, uh, who, who can bring charges against the, uh, the prosecutor? Because it seems like this is just uh, show business. Well, the, the charges can be brought in bar associations, but of course, the bar associations today are being turned against Trump lawyers. The 65 Project, as goal is to get lawyers who represented Donald Trump to be um, sanctioned, and they went after me after I criticized them. And then, of course, there are the five lawyers who are unindicted co-conspirators, and they probably include Rudy Giuliani and Eastman and, and uh, some of the others. And so... They're going after the lawyers as well, which means that this indictment not only endangers the First Amendment, but it also endangers the Sixth Amendment to the Constitution. Very dangerous indictment. You know, when you indict somebody who's running against the man who is trying to beat your president, it better be the strongest indictment possible. And this is not a strong indictment at all. Yeah, it seems so un-American. Professor Alan Dershowitz, uh, Judge Weinberg, you got a question for him. So... What do you think happens when you have the totality of all these cases together in terms of the public image of, of Donald Trump? Does he get support for this or does he, he uh, get disparaged for this? Both, both. He gets support among his base and he gets disparaged among his opponents. And the real key is where do the independents go? Are independents going to say, look, we don't like Trump, but we don't like violating the Constitution even more than we don't like Trump. So we're going to vote for Trump as a way of protesting this get Trump. I mean, I wrote my book, Get Trump, to make that point. I predicted all four of these indictments, the fourth being likely indictment in, in Georgia. And it is election interference. It may not be intended to be election interference, but it's going to interfere with Trump's ability to campaign on an equal level with the man he's running against. And, you know, it's a banana republic when the president in, has his people indict the man who's running against him. And uh, he now is tied 44 to 44 in the New York Times poll. And every time he's indicted, his numbers seem to go up. Now, they probably reach a maximum point. But uh, who knows? Uh, this, this is just the weaponization of criminal justice by both sides, because now we're seeing also some uh, 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 people on the other side are saying, let's impeach Republicans are saying, let's impeach uh, uh, President Biden. And, you know, to impeach him, you have to prove crimes that were committed while he was president, not while he was vice president, not while he was in the interregnum between his vice presidency and his presidency. So I don't see the case for impeaching him, but the people don't care. Uh, Republicans are just as hypocritical as Democrats when it comes to 
weaponizing our legal system against their political opponents. Professor, anything else before we take a break? Uh, well, uh, let's keep on this story because it's very, very important. And, we look uh, forward to talking to you almost every day just to, until we get to the bottom of this. Thank you so much. Well, that'll be a long time. Thank you. Thank be you. well. Thank you. And uh, now we have Gordon Chang. Gordon Chang. We haven't talked to him in a while. And uh, uh, sorry we cut you off yesterday, Gordon, because we had the breaking news. Uh, but it's all... You know, I've seen it in, the me- in some of the media. What, Rita? Yeah, the that- big bio lab. This bio, bio lab. lab. Chinese-owned bio lab in California, but none of the other media is carrying it. What's the truth on this? The truth is that this could very well be a facility from which China planned to launch biological attacks on the United States from American soil. Um, California and Fresno authorities found about a thousand mice, um, most of them alive, had been engineered to carry pathogens. There were also at least 20 different types of pathogens on site. Um, the people who were running this, who were Chinese, fronting for people in China, said, well, we're just preparing um, COVID-19 and pregnancy tests. But what was seized in that lab is inconsistent with that explanation. We have to assume that there are more labs around the United States like this, which means that China is preparing to kill Americans. Wow. You know, um, the FBI raided this um, lab. It's in Reedley, California, in the San Joaquin Valley. I know exactly where that is. I used to work in Bakersfield. Um, but you know what? Is it? How did the FBI find out about it? And, and why don't more people know about it? Well, the um, authorities in Fresno found out about it because a building inspector saw a building that was supposed to be vacant, but there was a hose connected to it. So there was obviously activity going on. And so the California and Fresno County authorities then raided it. What they found was horrifying. So they brought in the FBI and CDC. um, And that's that's where we stand right now. Now, um, this cannot be the only lab like this in the United States, or at least we have to assume it's not the only lab, which means that there are around the U.S. in all probability um, facilities which are going to launch biological attacks on the American people. Wow, that is horrifying. Gordon Chang, uh, Judge Weinberg. Gordon, it's Richard Weinberg. So what do we do as a as a government, as a country to respond to this? Well, I think, first of all, we have to look at every Chinese-owned um, entity, um, and by that, by Chinese national-owned entity. Remember, every Chinese national, every Chinese entity is under an obligation to commit acts of espionage and acts of sabotage against the United States, because nobody in the Communist Party's top-down system can deny an order. Um, and so we know that China has engaged in malicious activities in our country, that means we have to go through all of these facilities one by one. And we've got to do it very fast because China's not going to give us very much time on this. Uh, Vita Fasella? How many are there? How many are there of these uh, Chinese uh, nationalist-owned facilities and entities across the country? Um, there must be thousands. Um, wow. We don't wow. know the full extent wow. of it. But, you know, we're, we're talking um, about some which are well-known. For instance, the four Chinese consulates, We know about the Chinese state banks and enterprises. Um, There are places like the Confucius Institutes and Confucius Classrooms. Um, But also, there have been a lot of suspicious purchases by Chinese nationals uh, of farmland and ranch land across our country. By the way, near near Gordon, too, some of these major Air Force bases, which reminds me of the spy balloons, you know, that happen to hover around there. 
Well, yes, there's these uh, really suspicious purchases around Travis Air Force Base in California, um, which is also in the San Joaquin Valley, but also um, Lachlan Air Force Base in Texas. Um, The big story was Grand Forks Air Force Base in North Dakota, Um, but also there's some um, below-the-radar purchases. So, for instance, a Chinese national purchased a golf course under the flight path to Barksdale Air Force Base in Louisiana. That's where Global Strike Headquarters are. You go through the list, there are just so many suspicious purchases. And we have an FBI which is overwhelmed, local law enforcement's overwhelmed, governments are overwhelmed. We could lose our country. You know, um, Gordon, there was some story recently. It was a senior Chinese official. I think it was either the foreign minister or somebody who suddenly uh, isn't around anymore. Uh, what, what are you hearing? Well, that's Chin Gong, the foreign minister. But what's even more disturbing, we learned uh, this week that the top two uh, officials at the PLA, People's Liberation Army Rocket Force, these are the guys who control nuclear weapons. They were both replaced. This was unusual that they would be both replaced at the same time, and they were replaced by officers outside the rocket force. This looks like Xi Jinping is trying to continue his purge of officers who are opposed to war. Remember, these are the guys who can launch nuclear weapons. So it looks like Xi Jinping is getting ready to use his nukes, presumably against the United States. What's really frightening here, if this could be more frightening, is that we have an Oval Office and we have the senior leadership in the Pentagon are oblivious to what's going on. They're not talking to the American people. They don't even seem to be overly concerned themselves about timing. We have a military that thinks it's going to fight in the 2030s or the 2040s. And right now, we have a Xi Jinping who's getting ready to go to war, and he could very well be using his most destructive weapons against America. Wow, that is really, really frightening, Gordon. Thank you for filling us in. This is alarming. Wow. Gordon Chang, we're going to have you on again to get an update for the weekend. Oh, well, thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it because this is such a critical time. It is, is. and you know your stuff. Thank you, uh, Don't forget his Twitter. Gordon G. Gordon G. Chang. Exactly. He has a great Twitter feed. Everybody check it out. Um, And John, coming up, we've got Ronna McDaniel, who is coming up. She is the chairwoman of the RNC. She's going to give us an update on who made it to the debate stage, who may or may not be showing up the latest on President Trump, if he's going to be there, and who else? All that after the break. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, we're back. And uh, Rita, it looks like uh, we're only a few weeks away from the debates on the Republican end. And it's in Milwaukee. And uh, what the heck is going on? Yeah, August 23rd, coming fast and furiously. Uh, let's go to Ronna McDaniel. She's, of course, the chairwoman of the RNC. Uh, Rana, first of all, how many people have made it to the debate stage and uh, is Trump going to show up or not? (laughs) (laughs) So those are a lot of great questions. Hey, Rita. Hey, John. You know, right now it looks like eight or nine have made it. I think Mike Pence just put out a release that he's going to make the donor threshold. So, uh, you know, we haven't seen that final criteria. They have 48 hours before the debate to do that. But it's going to be a robust stage, and I, I want President Trump to be on the debate stage. You know, this is going to reach an audience of 200 million people. I think it's really important that our party uses this opportunity to get our message out against Joe Biden, because it's not just about the primary. It's also about the general election. 
And this is our opportunity to contrast what Republicans can do with lowering taxes, with fiscal responsibility, with uh, making sure that our borders secure, with lowering crime, with uh, tackling education. These are things that our party stands for, and we need to take this opportunity in these debates to contrast us with the failures of Joe Biden. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and I, I always love the debates. You feel like you learn a lot, especially the sort of like the unscripted moments. I think you always see. But you no, know, you mentioned Pence made the um, the donor threshold. There's other thresholds. Does it look like um, does it look like he'll fit the other criteria? And what about the pledge? Has anyone agreed uh, to, <laughs> to do the famous pledge about supporting whoever the nominee is? Yeah, so it's like a one, two, three punch, right? So the first is they have to get 1% in three national polls. So Pence has absolutely hit that as as well as others. And then there's also the the small dollar donations, which is 40,000 unique donations from small dollar donors. We're not going to be competitive if you can't get small dollar donations. So um, there's eight candidates that have reached that as well. Uh, and once they reach those two criteria, then they sign the pledge. And the pledge is simply this. We call it the Beat Biden Pledge. Pledging to support the will of the voters. If, if at the end of the day you've made your case and you fall short and the primary voters have said, this is who we choose as our nominee, we should all be pledging that the ultimate goal as a, as a Republican uh, Party nominee is to beat Joe Biden. And now... Do you think Joe Biden will be the nominee? Uh, I do. Uh, yeah, I just don't see any. First of all, there's a timeline crunch. You know, you're going to have to qualify for these primary ballots in different states. And it's hard in some of these states. And he's changed his whole primary calendar uh, to make South Carolina the first state so that he doesn't have any competition. So I do think he's going to be the nominee uh, right now. And uh, certainly, we're, we're pleased to run against Joe Biden and his failure of a record. We're not glad for the American people, but we're glad to contrast what the Republicans have done and what we can do for our country versus him. Do you think he'll know he's the nominee? <laughs> <Vito>. <laughs> well, that's a different question, Rita. That's a totally different question. Vito Fisella, you've got a question. Yeah, just a Rana. quick question. You've been traveling the country. What's on people's minds as you, you know, from county to county across the country, what are people saying on the issues and the and the election itself? You know, guys, I mean, I, I live in Michigan. I don't live in the D.C. bubble. People are really worried. Their cost of living is skyrocketing. They're paying more for everyday goods from gas to energy to eggs to milk. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty in this country. Crime is an issue. Fentanyl is an issue. Uh, people feel a lot of um, anxiety about the state of our country. And what I hear from voters all the time is we have to win. We have to win. We, we have to beat Joe Biden. Plus, they see the corruption coming out of uh, the Democrat Party. And, and I think they are really, really concerned about the state of our nation. And they want to make sure that our party unites. They don't want to see us fighting each other. And they want to see us united about saving this country and working together as a party to do so. Ron, if some of my uh, uh, Republican friends said that uh, uh, the Democrats are outsmarting the Republicans all the time and, and they made an example of Joe Biden's going to come out and say, look, all you 26 million people that, that uh, students that signed that uh, they want their $10,000 from the, uh, the from pledge, the, right? The, the pledge, student loan, the student loans. And now they started to pay back. I understand today was the day they started paying back the loans. So how much hard feelings are there between the abortion issue for students and voting age uh, people and 
uh, paying back the loans because they are pointing their fingers. I wanted to give you the money. It's them. Yeah, I think it's a combination, right? Yeah, they want they want loans paid, but they also want jobs <laughs> that they can get after college, and they don't want to pay so much in taxes. So, listen, I think we have a lot of winning issues to run on. I feel very confident on that. It's just going to be resources and getting on the ground. The RNC's launched a Bank Your Vote initiative. It's going to be really critical that we bank votes early before Election Day, that we don't try and get all our votes on Election Day. And there's been a huge education on this. President Trump actually just did a video for Bank Your Vote. Go to bankyourvote.com. This is going to be something that on the ground we have to do if we're going to be successful. It's going to come down to five or six battleground states, Wisconsin, Arizona, Georgia. We know that those are going to be the battleground states that will determine the presidency. So how well do we organize and then how well do we message to those independent voters that are making more and more, making up more and more of the electorate and determining elections. And I, it's uh, Richard Weinberg. Good to talk to you again. What hey, I'm Richard. troubled, what I'm troubled by is that if, and I'm a house Democrat, that if you vote for Biden, you're really voting for Harris. And I just yeah. can't imagine that the people of the United States really want to have Kamala Harris as their commander in chief. What do you say to that? I agree. I think there's a lot of Democrats and I hear this, even in my own community saying, yeah, Biden may be the nominee, but Harris is going to end up being the president because they don't see Biden fulfilling a second term if he gets elected. And that is really, really frightening. Nobody wants to be California. She has not shown well as the vice president. And I think there's a lot of anxiety about her and Biden, again, running together. So there's a lot of good things for Republicans to run on. One of the great messages we have is what Republican governors did during the pandemic. I mean, they have been driving this economic turnaround. That's where the jobs are being created. That's where kids are back in school. That's where economies are doing well. And it's from policies like no income tax or low income tax, uh, keeping economies open, keeping schools open, low regulation, energy independence. Open border. Uh, these are the open, <laughs> closing the border exactly. in Republican states, right? The, and, and tackling fentanyl. And so you've seen Republican governors really lead and show the way of what Republican policies can do at the national stage. And of course, we saw that four years ago under the Trump administration. Um, real quick, uh, Rhonda, before we let you go, uh, the $64 million question. No, I mean, no, there's another uh, six. All right, million, 63? Probably trillion dollar question. Okay, trillion dollar question. Okay, John, okay, is, trillion John is, dollar question. Now it's got to be really good that John upped it like that. Um, you got Trump. You got Trump with uh, now a third indictment. Uh, I, I just think about, it, you know, we've all I've covered politics a long time. You guys have been in the throes of it. Um, you sit there and go, how, I mean, th- what a wild moment in history this is to think about your leading candidate. And I know you obviously you, you support all of them and work with all of them um, as you do beautifully, Rana. Um, but what a wild time, what a wild moment this is. How do you guys juggle that between now you got another one? You may have another indictment coming. He's the leading candidate. Uh, how do you how do you plan? How do you how does this factor into all this stuff at the RNC? Yeah, it's it hasn't been quiet at the RNC. You know, we had two <laughs> impeachments. We had a pandemic. You know, it, it has been a quiet time during my um, my time at the RNC. I mean, I will say this, Rita and John, I think this is so sad for our country. We have such a divided country and Republicans really do feel like there's one set of justice for Republicans and different for Democrats. And when you see what happened last week with Hunter Biden walking into court with a sweetheart Dale that would have given him immunity to future prosecutions that clearly were not being conveyed to the American people that we're now seeing because we have the House 
that there were 22 LLCs formed in Biden, Inc., that 12 family members from the Biden family received upwards of $10 million in payments from foreign entities. It's really disturbing. And on top of that, this week, we found out that President Biden absolutely lied to the American people and knew about his son's business dealings and, in fact, got on 20 different phone calls with business partners of, of, of Hunter Biden. He used the influence of the White House or of the vice presidency to, to gain foreign financial backing for his son. And that is just wrong. And the American people deserve to know that. So it's not even two-tier system of justice. It's a two-tiered system of media because the media is not being honest in reporting these issues. And I think that's what's so frustrating to Republican voters. Also. Yeah. Well, you got a lot to talk about in the debates. Uh, Rana, thank you very, very much. Wow. It's going to be interesting. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thanks, Rana. I love Always love being with you. you. We love having thank you. you. Thank you very much. Wow. And, uh, wow. Lots to talk about. Now, uh, Gilgo Beach were up to. Yeah, actually, the guy, remember, was in court yesterday, the suspect, uh, Rex Hureman, and had a court appearance. And joining us now, John, is Bob Macedonio. He is the attorney for Asa Elora, and she is the wife of the Gilgo Beach suspect. Um, Mr. Attorney, uh, great to have you here, Bob. Um, first of all, how is she doing and what is she thinking? I can't even imagine. She's doing much better. She just left the office about an hour ago. Um, you know, when we first met her the uh, two days after he was arrested, the Saturday morning we met her in our office, and she was completely distraught, had, you know, just emotionally unstable. She's getting better day by day. She starts to process more of what's going on and trying to put her life back together. Did she have any suspicions or any thoughts? I mean, you know, they believe one of the things happened in the house. Um, So because of that, um, they've been, you know, they, I know they dug up the house. They, they, you know, I know that we've seen some of the pictures. I'm sure it's just devastating for her and the kids, was there any inclination or anything she saw, Bob? And, and also, I understand she's had some, quote, personal contact with him. Can you tell us about that? She had no suspicion, no inclination any of this was going on. Um, I think the DA's office has been clear in their bail application where they stated at each of these incidents, she was either out of the state or out of the country on vacation. Uh, she has not been considered a suspect or even been questioned by the police about having any knowledge of this. I'm surprised they haven't even questioned her just in case there was something leading to the case, not even related to her. Are you surprised that they haven't even questioned her at all? I, I think prior to even making the arrest of, of Rex, that they extensively looked at her background, her records, um, and detailed where she was at various times to rule her out. Um, they did go there the Saturday morning after the arrest. That's when she retained our office. So at that point in time, they are prohibited from speaking to her without us being present. What about the personal contact? You were quoted somewhere that you guys had that she had had some personal contact with her um, and uh, and her husband. Can you tell us about that? Um, he He's able to call from the jail uh, and those calls were all recorded. Um, she's had and I'm not you know how many phone calls she's had with him, but she's had at least one or two telephone calls with him from the jail. And we've instructed her, you know, not to discuss the case because obviously those all those calls are recorded. And can you tell us sort of a, a little bit about, um, you know, not specifics, but um, has uh, the nature of the calls or the the mood of the calls or something? I, I mean, she she didn't ask what was going on. I think it was more about getting some, you know, type of finance, you know, finances where where they were able to get money for food. I mean, he was the sole breadwinner of the family, the only one employed. Um, access to some, you know, money so they could eat and get food and pay some bills. I think that's what the content of the conversation is. Why I wasn't there, but that's at least my understanding. 
And I understand there's a GoFundMe uh, page set up too, right? That there's um, talk about that and and just what that's for. Correct. That is um, there's a gentleman known as the Happy Face Killer, um, who his daughter reached out to us, and she is a similar victim as um, you know Asa is with her two children, and her dad was arrested in the '90s for killing you know, six or eight you know sex workers, and their family was thrown into complete uproar like Asa and the two children's were. So she can be one of the few people in the country that can sympathize with her, what she's going through. She set up a GoFundMe, um, has raised, I think up to this point, almost 25000 in addition to has numerous donations of food and mattresses and clothes that are being offered to her to supply to the family. Um, it's been very helpful. And like I said, she has been uh, great with us. She's been, you know, reach, people reach out to her all over the world to show their support for Asa. Uh, we don't want to discount any of the victims, the families that were victims of the homicide, but Asa and her two children have equally been victimized by this whole incident. Their lives have been thrown into complete chaos. Well, please come back on again soon and keep us posted. Obviously, uh, the whole country has been uh, following this case, um, and uh, it's just it has been shocking and startling. Uh, please keep us posted, Bob. Thank you very much for being here. Very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, wow. Let's take a break. And who are we going to come back with? We have Trump's attorney, Joe Tacopina, well, coming up. Let's see if there's an update. It's the end of the day. I know he was on with Sid this morning. So let's get an update where what the end of the day is. But let's take that break first. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back here on Cats and Cosby. Tomorrow, President Trump is scheduled to appear in a D.C. courtroom, his third indictment. And joining us now, it's the end of the day. Uh, Joe Tacopina, I know you're on with our good buddy Sid in the morning. Uh, give us an update. Hey, Rita. Uh, update. The update is the unprecedented is going to happen tomorrow. Um, you know, it's going to be another arraignment. And I, at this point, I... I, I said that this morning, Sid, I think we're getting to the point where voters and people out there are getting indictment fatigue, really, um, because they're at the point now where they, it, it almost has a so what effect, which is insane when you think about it. Um, but you, you see by the polling numbers and, and the supporters, his support is only increasing with each indictment, which goes to show you that people, enough people out there believe that that this is the victimization of an individual by the use of a, a weaponization of the justice system. And and that's really what we have. So I think that's what this is about. Um, I think, you know, th- this case is different. Uh, this case is certainly different in a lot of ways, Rita. I mean, first of all, you know, we're, we're in a situation now where this case, unlike the other two indictments, um, this indictment strikes at the core of America's founding values and the rep- Republic's constitutional underpinnings, right? I mean, this is about trying to overthrow government, trying to prevent an election. And the problem for the prosecutors with this case is this. Remember, they did not charge him, the president, with with inciting the riot on January 6th. They did not charge him with that. I don't know how they would ever be able to convict on that when there are tapes of him saying, you know, peaceful rally, 
calling Nancy Pelosi, putting her on notice that there's going to be people coming, so on and so forth. Um, so they didn't charge him with that, but they've charged him with knowingly spreading false information or making false statements to defraud the American public regarding the election being stolen. Now, here's the fact of the matter in a criminal case, whether it was or it wasn't, if he truly believed it, then there's no, the, 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 the intent is not there. The criminal intent, the mens rea, if you will, is not there. And by the way, and by the way, Joe, he truly believes it. That's what I was about to say. Every time I've talked to him, he believes it. And and I'm sure he's said it to you too, right? In, in, in every, almost every conversation I've had with him, he says, you know, I'm going to be the only president who have won three times. Um, you know, he, he be, certainly believes it. So if he truly believes it. The things he was doing would almost be to sort of protect the validity of our Constitution and protect the voting process. If he believed it. And he, I don't know how Jack Smith intends on proving what was inside of Donald Trump's brain. You know, during this period when he was making these statements, it's going to be very difficult. And, you know, he was relying on people who provide him evidence and information. A lot of lawyers that are Alyssa's now co-conspirators, um, you know, who, who presented him legal theories and information that supported that belief. So they have a really, really tough road ahead of them Joe, in this case, despite how polarizing it is. Joe, Judge Weinberg here read the indictment hey, yesterday, and, uh, yep. and he thought it was a, almost a joke. I mean, at what point is the Attorney General Garland, uh, where, where's the ethics? Yeah, that Garland claims to be out of this completely. That's why he's appointed special counsel. But come on. Come on, we we not, we're not naive, and we weren't born yesterday. Um, the charges, you know, the charges are ridiculous, Joe. I mean, the the, sure. the fourth count, conspiracy against rights. That's a civil rights act that had to do with rights. the Ku Klux Klan. Exactly. I mean, these are some antiquated laws that they're dusting off. Listen, if this doesn't go to show you that they're shaking those those statutes and they're dusting off these the law books here to try and find anything anything to get Trump. It's the, the, the two-tiered standard of justice that's happening right now. You know, you see all the stuff happening with Joe Biden and what appears to be horrifically corrupt acts on behalf of himself and, and or his son or together, um, where, you know, enormous amounts of money was coming to them. I mean, the guy lives in one of the nicest homes in his area. He's been a career politician. Um, yeah, the homes, know, but, there's but, some know, very nice homes there. Uh, what is it called? A I mean, lifestyle for case. For a lifestyle case, life, It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, but those cases go nowhere. Like, who is the, the, there is a special prosecutor that was appointed to take a look at the classified documents that were found all over Joe Biden's. Yeah, and you know, Robert Hurd. Yeah, uh, here, nothing. Oh, you know his name? Okay. No, you know why? I had to look it up, Joe. What's his name? It's Robert Hurd. I had to actually look it up because you never, we don't hear about it. Um, Joe Tacopino. Joe Tacopino, hold on. uh, Hold on. Trump attorney Joe Tacopino. We've got a question from Vito Fasella. Joe, two things. One is, uh, hey, Joe, two things. One is, what are the weakest arguments uh, against or the strongest arguments against this indictment? And secondly, Alan Dershowitz said earlier that there were some things that were left out, you know, lies of omission, if you will. I'm curious if you feel the same way about that. Look, as far as what was left out, I don't really know what was left out because I don't know what evidence they had. Um, you know, you can't put something in an indictment unless you could back it up. That's the reason they left January 6th. Look, January 6th is the thing that sticks in everyone's crawl, right? 
I mean, that's the thing that everyone on both sides of the aisle were, were appalled by. And if you could have connected Donald Trump to having any role in inciting January 6th, that's your that's your game set match charge right there. Um, that's the that's the thing. But they're going to use it. Everyone would. But they're Joe. It's yeah, they're gonna again. Use it. But they're using yeah. it to market the the, oh, the other four oh, counts. Oh. Yeah, that, exactly. But I would be very very clear when I was standing up in court representing the president to say, you know, it's funny they keep mentioning it, but they didn't charge him because there's no evidence. And so that that's that it's it's. It, that's what's happening here. I mean, they're using that because that is the salacious. That's the stuff that's going to grab everyone's attention. I mean, I think they even put in the in the press conference uh, something about, you know, officers who died there in that January 6th thing. What does that have to do with Donald Trump? Nothing. Well, you know what? They're trying to uh, stir know? the emotions, yes. stir the politics. Uh, Trump attorney Joe Tacopina, we love you. We appreciate you being here, Joe, Thank so, much. so much. Thank you, Thank you, Joe. Guys, all of you. Thank, Thank you. you, Joe. Wow. And guys, you know, the American people only want one thing. Truth, Truth, justice, justice and the American American way. God bless America. And I can't believe some of the people actually believe the crap that's going on. Amazing. Tomorrow, he's going to be in court again tomorrow, John. Amen.